What's up, everybody? It's Andrea. Today, we reach TNG Nirvana. The flute playing makes us cry every time. And we ask the question, would you want to live Cayman's life in 25 minutes? Come nerd out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, we are talking the episode. We are talking <laughs> the, like, pinnacle yes. TNG episode. This is season five, episode 25, The Inner Light, written by Morgan Jendal and directed by Peter Lauritsen. As we all know... Captain Picard is struck unconscious by an energy beam from an alien probe. While minutes pass for the rest of the crew, the probe makes Picard experience 40 years of lifetime as Cayman, a scientist whose planet is threatened by the Nova of its sun. This is like it. I mean, what are your initial thoughts on this episode? Yeah, you know, this one is such an iconic episode, and that's probably why we had so many people ask us if they could be a special guest in this episode. Yes. <laughs> from, from the moment we started the podcast and opened it up and said, hey, if you want to be on our show, we'd love to have you. Everybody was mm-hmm. like, okay, when are you doing Inner Light? Because that, that's yeah. the one I want to be on. <laughs> yeah. And after the third or fourth person asked, I was like, mm, I think we should maybe have no guests on Inner Light because there'd be no way to choose between all of our wonderful friends. And this would be an extremely long podcast if we had 12 people on here talking yeah, about this Yeah, like a panel. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. If we had a panel. Um. I would say this episode always just gives me the feels, you know, because it shows Picard as a normal human being. These slice of life, slice of life episodes are getting so good. Mm. Once again, I don't know what was going on with cost of living, but the slice of life episodes (laughs) have been getting really good. Minus that one, rears its nasty head again. (laughs) Yeah, because I want to say like it's been so great, but like that was kind of a down point. But (laughs) that one was a trash (laughs) one. But it was great the, the rest of it as far as their their backstories and stuff like that you're like this is getting good like remember back in season one when we met Riker's dad and we were like what the uh, f like yeah. what is going on but this episode is solid and it's not even Picard's past and it's still so freaking good it's beautiful it mm-hmm. is haunting this episode is actually not on my rewatch queue but only because it always makes me cry so yeah. rewatching it now was like it really felt like a fresh watch for me um how about you I echo so much of like your thoughts and feelings on this episode. We have reviewed however many episodes, you know, five, almost six seasons worth of episodes by now for the podcast. And I have watched every single one and taken diligent notes on every single one and looked up backstories and behind the scenes and some trivia and stuff. Mm -hmm. Sharice, this was the first time that I watched the episode to take notes. And immediately after my notes were done, I went back to the beginning and I watched it again Mm -hmm. just to watch it and experience it. It was so deep and beautiful and sad Mm -hmm. and heartfelt. I think heartfelt is the word I would use for this. Like this episode is widely regarded as the best episode of The Next Generation. I've been looking forward to discussing this one with you for years. Initially, the first time or the first couple times I've watched this episode, it gave me a lot of anxiety because as you know, like I hate when people are speaking and like no one is listening to them, especially mm-hmm. when they're when they're making sense, you know, like they're in a crazy world and they're the only one who's making sense and nobody will listen or whatever. You're like, just listen to this person. But I think for me, my anxiety really stems from like not feeling heard a lot of times when I was mm-hmm. younger, I guess. I don't know. I'm assuming. So 
when somebody like Picard is like, no, no, I was on a ship. Like, I don't know how I got here. And they're like, oh, okay. It's like, nobody, as the audience, like, we know mm-hmm. he's like speaking the truth. So it always gave me a little bit of anxiety. I often skip this one as well, just because of like, that anxiety, but also just sort of like the tears I get at the end. It's just a very heartfelt episode and heavy in a lot of ways, especially mm-hmm. when you realize like what the satellite was, where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. You know, yeah. Um, one or two things I did find about this. Um, the theme of like cultural memory and passing down traditions in the wake of societal destruction. Um is what influenced the writer, Morgan Jendel, to write this episode um, because he sort of tapped from his like upbringing, um, his Jewish upbringing and the experience of family that are that were Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. So that the importance of remembering who someone was, even if they're not there anymore, was deeply important to him. And so that's where this sort of like passing down of traditions and stories in in the face of like genocide um and i think that that makes it even like knowing that makes it even deeper mm-hmm. and like more just more heartfelt i mean this whole episode just makes me want to cry it's really mm-hmm. gorgeous yeah. yeah well let's just jump in okay so there's uh, the enterprise is doing a magnetic wave survey in some unknown charted you know uncharted area and detects an unknown object like some kind of probe or a satellite Mm-hmm. And they come up to this probe and the probe is kind of a funky shape. It's very distinct. Kind of like the Harry Potter lightning bolt scar. That's what it looked like to me. It sort of is, but like stretched out in the middle. Yes, I know what you mean. And like this, the probe itself like scans the ship. And when the ship kind of moves away, the probe sort of moves with it. And like as Picard is talking, the, sh- the probe sort of emits this like tiny little burst of light. Almost, it reminded me of like the passing of a light in like a lighthouse, how it like swoops mm-hmm. around and wherever mm-hmm. you're standing, you just see a blink of it. Mm-hmm. And it knocks Picard out. And first and foremost, I just want to say, major props to Patrick Stewart for doing a knocked out like acting because that looked (laughs) so real and it was also so like sudden and like kind of violent that I was like whoa it sort of just caught me off guard like it was just brilliantly done yeah yeah I didn't remember how I did not remember how the memory thing started in Picard's mind exactly like Mm -hmm. I didn't remember all these nuances of this so like I said I was watching it kind of as a fresh watch so I was like okay cool Yep, probe looks cool. Kind of looks like a satellite, but we're going to call it a probe. Okay, works for me. All right, it's scanning. <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, that's totally a satellite, but all right. Yeah, okay, sure. I guess probes could be any shape. Why not? Um, I don't know. There's no, no aerodynamics. You don't have to worry about drag. Yeah, you're <laughs> you right. surely don't. You could make it as a ninja star if you it wanted be, to. I was thinking that. And ninjas are like a pancake that just flies butter first through space. Like, why not? <laughs> butter first. Um, <laughs> exactly. You could absolutely do that. Pancake so, dynamics don't apply. Yeah. <laughs> the pancake physics of this episode totally works. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, okay. And then, you know, they're putting up shields. They're like, okay, something fishy is happening. And then it's like cutting straight through the shields as if there are no shields. So again, I'm just watching it like, okay. And then when Picard passes out, I was like, what? And then when he sees this, this is a cool part. When he sees um, Riker standing over him, like, don't worry, sir, I've got you. And then it morphs into this beautiful woman who's like, it's okay, I've got you. And I was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. that was a really neat transition. (laughs) Like visually flawless, beautiful, perfect. Like as a viewer, I was like, woo, 
we're in a new world. Like that was magical. And then to see Picard, and then it goes to commercial break, but to see Picard's reaction of like, where am I? This must be a holodeck program. This must be a computer. This must be a dream. I could not help but put myself in that situation thinking the exact same thing of how much the the insane levels of panic I would be feeling if I was just standing on the bridge and then I open my eyes, you know, I'm seeing Riker and then suddenly I'm seeing someone else. I'm in a house. I'm on a planet. What is going on? They're calling Mm -hmm. me by a different name. I would have so much panic right now. So, so, so much panic. And I actually applaud Picard. I'm going to say it's his Starfleet training and years as a captain. Yeah. Keeping a cool head and just being like, well, Let's figure this situation out because I'd be 100%. like, hundred percent. Who are you? What's going on? Like, I don't would touch me. Freak out. Yeah, don't touch me. I would freak out. You know that episode where Picard is like copied and pasted into like yes. a jail cell, and yeah. like he and the others are all trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. That's what I would have done. I would have been like, don't touch it. Don't 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 get near me. You know all of that. <laughs> and he was just like, and you are. And what planet are we on? How many planets are there in the star system? Do you leave the system? Like he asks all these great questions and the woman is like, uh, and I thought in that instant, it's like, oh yeah, okay. This is absolutely a pre-warp civilization. Yes. I don't know where he is, Mm -hmm. but okay. But he's not getting back to the enterprise through this civilization. No, he surely won't. He sure won't. And so the woman is like, Cayman, you've had this high fever for several days. Like, don't leave the house. So we're like, okay, his name is like Cayman. And like, he walks out of the house and finds- Yeah, he leaves the house immediately, by the way. It's almost like she double dog dared him by saying that. (laughs) You really shouldn't leave, Cayman. See you later. Watch me. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, what? Oh, I was going to walk out. Now I'm going to jog out. Yeah. Um. And, like, he does walk out and finds that he's sort of in the middle of this super cute little, like, town square or something mm-hmm. I would imagine yeah. would exist maybe in, like, Santa Fe or something. Mm-hmm. And I love that the town is planting a tree in defiance of the drought. And I thought, that's not how that works. <laughs> but you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Dune. Um, I know you're reading the book. I don't know yeah, if I am. I have seen the movie. Or if you, okay, I was going to say if you've seen the movie, because I haven't done the book, but I, I've watched the movie. And they oh, have the those, book is amazing. The, they have, the audiobook is incredible, by the way. Yeah, I, I still have to check that out, because you know how I love me a good audiobook. But yep. you know how in the movie they have those palm trees that take, like, 20 gallons of water a day or some crazy thing yes. in the middle yes. of the desert where everyone's, like, needs water to live yeah and and i think the main guy asked something like why are you wasting this water on these freaking palm trees in the middle of the desert and the guy said something similar of like it's a symbol of hope or whatever the heck so this is what this reminded me of when i saw it i was like oh it's just it's like dune it's people going we've got no water so we're gonna plant a tree that just guzzles water (laughs) as a symbol of someday having more water how about a statue of a tree i feel like that (laughs) does the same thing how about how about a statue of water (laughs) <laughs> so we can remember what the goal like a, of like this a is. disposable like a plastic water bottle like a like a <laughs> waterfall but made out of cement to remind us that we need actual water i don't know <laughs> i don't know what but like i i agree with you i'm seeing a really symbol? good resin statue of just a water bottle that glistens <laughs> in the sun and it looks like like really thirst quenching <laughs> You can see the little condensation on the outside of the bottle. Oh my god, that's like <laughs> torture right there. That's like some psyops level shit. Okay, but yeah, so maybe not I, water. But yeah, maybe I, not water. I, but yeah, maybe the like, tree, you know, though. Maybe not a tree either. Maybe like a statue of a bunch of people holding hands in a circle. I don't fucking know. The point is, <laughs> a man is planting a tree in defiance of the drought, and I was like, well, the city is. Yeah, the city's yeah, the, all on board yes, with this. Yes, he, he's like the mayor or whatever, and I was yes, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you're doing because hope is important. Believe me, I know, and. 
I want you to hope in a different way that I want you to hope in a different way that does not use up the last bit of water. Yeah. Like everybody's water ration is down to like half a molecule and this water (laughs) consuming You can only get the O and the H. So they're all dying. Yeah. That was a chemistry joke for those we need of you another who are not o. super nerds like us. <laughs> yep, yep. We're like, oh, there's no, okay. <laughs> it's only O's, okay. Anyway, um, Picard goes to talk to him and the man introduces himself as Bataille. And Picard learns that the wife who was at home, her name is Aline, and they're on the planet Catan. And I was like, settlers of Catan? That was my That's first thought, thought, of too. course. I thought the yeah. same thing. Yeah, and they they live in like the Resic colony or whatever. Um, and we learn that like this man, whoever they think Picard is, um, has had like a fever for days and wiped his memories. And he's like, you know what? Maybe let me just take a walk to refamiliarize myself with the surroundings. And I was like, that is smart right there. See, I had a question about that for you. Smart. I wouldn't have thought of that. (laughs) I would have been like, somebody tell me what's going on right now. Like I would have freaked out. And he's like, I've got 50 years in Starfleet that tells me to walk around. There's probably an electricity monster somewhere. I mean, surely. <laughs> well, I, I have this question for you at this point. I was like, okay, if you were in this scenario, you woke up with presumably no memory is what people are telling you, mm-hmm. but you think maybe you got kidnapped. Would you go for a stroll? Part of me's like, well, I mean, if they did really kidnap you, they wouldn't want you to go for a stroll. So that would be some suspicious signs. Yeah. But on the other hand, if I lost my memory... Maybe I shouldn't be alone. I don't know. So I, I just had that question for you. Mm. What are you thinking about if you I were mean, in that situation? I think what he did was very, very smart. I certainly wouldn't have thought of that. I would have gone right to panic. But yes, I will agreed. say, I will say kidnapping is a lot of psychology. Mm, um, so really my thought point. is this. If he is like, let me take a walk and refamiliarize myself with the surroundings and nobody says boo. It's like okay, these aren't captors. Like, they're okay with me wandering around. Nobody seems to question anything. Yeah. You know, it's as mm-hmm. if, like, one of my neighbors really loves to, like, walk at night, like, late at night. So I see him out all the time, like, when I'm walking my dog. And I'm like, hey, buddy. You know, so it's like, if I were like, don't go there, he'd be like, what? You know, like, there's, there'd be something mm, weird about might that. Might be a red flag. Yeah. So I think the psychology of that, and I'm no psychologist, and I don't know anything about kidnapping psychology, but I would say... If I were to feel things out and people would be like, do you feel better? You want to go for a walk? I'd be like, yes, I do. You know, just to like go get some surroundings and at yeah. least at the very least, like one, see if my memory will come back or I know where the F I am. Two, yeah. Yeah. if not some sort of potential escape route that I could right. Shawshank Redemption myself into, you know? Yeah. Super clever. Yeah. And he walked way outside of the city gates. And could see the city down in the little valley of this mountain Mm -hmm. range and Mm -hmm. could see like, okay, well, not much in any other direction, but I'm going to keep walking and just see what else is out there. So, I mean, he's really taken out his Boy Scout badge for this episode. (laughs) Um, I was really shocked that he managed to find his way home. But again, Boy Scout badge. He knew from seeing that house exactly one time and turning his back on it immediately. He knew just how to get back by the end also, of the day. Also, it was like a condo complex. They all looked the same. I was like, <laughs> dang. That's impressive. All the houses. That HOA so is tight. Okay. The Catanian <laughs> HOAs are fucking tight. Nobody can have so much as a leaf out of place. Everything looks identical. And it's like, how do you find your way home? Yeah. Um, although I will say, too, it's a teeny little, it seems like just one yeah. neighborhood. It's a small so community. It's like, Someone could have pointed I mean, him out to him, pointed out to him. Yeah. What like he could have run, <laughs> run to Bataille who said that one, buddy. 
Oh, thanks. Yeah. Right. Number so four. It's not, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not that outrageous, but I just thought like, yeah. how did he do that? Um, Aline has been worried sick about him. And clearly there's no t- like telephones or communication devices. This is a pretty early civilization. Not the pre-Vulcan early, but, you know, early enough. Mm-hmm. Um, think like Wild West, I guess, for us. But um, she sort of fills him in on some information because he's like, you know, this is when he questions her. Like, I'm going to ask you some questions. They're going to seem ridiculous. I just need you to answer as best you can. You know, and it's obviously a pre-warp civilization. So he's like, okay, I'm not going to be able to communicate any kind of way to the ship. I can't get a shuttle to take me out of here. And he's like, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about us? We're married. And she's like, yeah. It turns out he plays this Resican flute. Although truth be told, he's like tinkered with it for years, but never really learned how to play it. Mm-hmm. And as Aline leans over him to try to coax him to come to bed, he notices that she has a pendant on her necklace. That's the exact shape of the probe that mm-hmm. sent Picard to wherever here is. And he's like, yes. where did you get that? And she's like, you gave it to me. Like when we were first dating, and I was like, Oh, okay. Because we find out that Picard, his, his occupation is he is a iron weaver. Which is a cool way to say that. Sounds super cool. Yeah. It sounds super cool. So he's some kind of metal worker and he created this really beautiful piece of jewelry for her. But now it's kind of like a Twilight Zone moment where he's like, that necklace is the probe. I didn't make it up. I know what I'm talking about. I know who I am. It's a little bit of a link to like your previous life where you're like, no, I'm definitely not crazy. Like Mm -hmm. this is okay. Like I've seen this before. Yeah, you're right. Um, Now aboard the Enterprise, Riker's calling for medical assistance. The captain is out cold. So it's like, oh, oh, God. Okay. So we have Picard, as we know him, who's like out cold on the floor of the bridge. Mm-hmm. And so then we, we now this... know he hasn't been transported anywhere, which we yes. did not know before this moment. Yes, because it looked like it was that episode, that really shitty kidnapping episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that episode. <laughs> oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. You don't like anyway, it. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, I like it so little, I barely remember reviewing it. I'm like, the one with the red hockey puck, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, um, at least now we know, like, the captain hasn't gone anywhere. Like, he's in some kind of simulation. And Picard thought that, too, because when he first came to, he was mm-hmm. like, computer, exit, computer, arch, and, like, went to calm and then realized he wasn't wearing his uniform. Yeah, it's, it's a whole, now it's like there's something else at play going on, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Worf naturally suggests destroying the probe. Um, <gasps> not not a bad idea, to be fair. Like if the probe is doing something, not, not a you, bad idea. You're you right. want to stop it from doing something. Clearly, it's doing something not helpful because Picard's passed out. Beverly's yeah. scanning like crazy, and it, it looks like all of his vital signs are fine, and his nervous system is like overactive. Something's going on in his mind, but his body's fine as far as we, he's not in pain or anything like that. But we do not want him connected to this beam coming from the probe so mm-hmm. Worf's like let's destroy it beverly's like hold on pump your brakes let's yeah. not <laughs> let's do a little investigation first and then see what we should do so riker's like okay in the meantime just move us off move us back a little bit because we because keep in mind i mean this probe we don't know anything about it it could just like and just shoot everybody on the ship and they could yes. all be passed out for all we yes. know and data could be looking yes. around so confused yeah like we don't know but thankfully it only affects picard and they try to move off a little bit and the probe goes with them. However fast they go, the probe goes that same speed. So Beverly's like, okay, it looks like this is tethered to Picard in some kind of way. So let's just be really careful with that. So th- that's what they do. They just keep kind of scanning and trying to figure out what's going on. My thought was, 
why is he still on the bridge? Why didn't they just like beam him to sickbay? But maybe the beam, they don't want to break it, question mark, through the transportation. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, Beverly makes a really good point where she's like, when a patient is stabbed, the first instinct is to want to remove the knife. But that's often like the thing you definitely don't want to do. You know, so she's like, okay, clearly, like, his vital signs are normal, but his neurotransmitter responses are, like, off the charts. This probe has clearly tethered to him some sort of way. Um, So that was the thing. Like, as the ship moves, the probe moves with it. So it's definitely tethered to Picard. And my thought was, why not get him to sickbay? Like, do we need to keep him on the floor of the bridge? Like, maybe. Does, does the probe move? Like, in relation to where Picard is on the bridge. I mean, they deal with everything within like tens of thousands of kilometers. Like surely it's not like right up against the hole. You know, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. at any rate, we are back on this planet and five years have passed. Picard is using like a sextant to study something in this, you know, in the heavens. And Alina's like, "Um, you've been daydreaming about that starship of yours again, haven't you? And Picard's like, no, I'm just charting the progress of the course of the sun. Like it might give us a clue as to the cause of this drought. So clearly the drought is continuing five years on. So they're only about a third of the way through the California drought that we've been experiencing the last like 15 or 18 years, Mm -hmm. which has been unreal. I remember what real rain was like. I don't know if you remember that, but there was like not torrential rain in California, but we had like rain more than like three times a year. Like it rained a week or two ago and we were like, what? yeah it was such a shock it was such a shock and it rained for exactly one day and it was like it was sprinkling then rain and then sprinkling (laughs) it was like a very it was a it was a dusting of rain it's like check it out it's rain oh it's gone now you missed it yeah yeah you had to come when i said or yeah you missed it um (laughs) so one of the things i want to point out is that picard's hair is a little more unkempt which shows the passage of time and i have to give mad props to the makeup department because it kind of looks like they glued these prosthetics maybe onto a bald cap. Um, but it looks so good. Like even mm-hmm. in HD, even in HD, as I was I watching, I was like, I cannot see where they glued it. Exactly. I was so going to well say done. the same thing. Like, you know, we're watching in HD and I kept pausing to be like, surely I'll be able to like be like there or there, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, I still can't. I still can't. Because usually we can, right? Usually any prosthetics, you're like, oof, that, is, that didn't translate well. Where yes. it looked really good back in the 90s, but now it's like, you yes. see the watch where it's glued or, to the face and painted on. it's too short a season. And even in the 90s, it looked like absolute pile of trash. <laughs> so this is like the oldening the way you want oldening to happen on TV. Subtle and perfection. Just perfection, yeah. Now, Picard, you know, when she's like, you've been daydreaming about that starship of yours, he says, it was real. I know it. You can't expect me to forget a lifetime spent there. And Aline says, yes, I can. For five years, I have shared you with that other life. I have waited for you to come around. And like, she never says I'm done waiting, but she's like, I've waited and waited. And like, Picard is like, you know, he's kind of gruff about it. But Ty comes to collect who Picard, whose name on this planet is Cayman. Mm-hmm. And The tree in the middle, the defiance tree keeps growing, but the farmers are mad that their crops are dying. And they're like, why is this tree growing? And everybody else is living on half of a water molecule, you know, and, and it turns out, Bataille says, everybody in the community gives a little bit of their ration to this tree, which I'm like, false. (laughs) Again, this is not the way right here, but okay, whatever. Yeah. So so an admin comes to town to find out what what's going on in their town and to ask mm-hmm. his like township about 
how's it going? So if Bataille, if Bataille is like the mayor, this is like the governor or whatever the thing is yeah, above the mayor. Sure. I don't even know. But he's some guy who's above Bataille. And so he comes to kind of check out what they're doing in their community. And that's when he finds this tree and he's just like, um, why do you have a tree? Why? This seems like a huge waste of water. And then Bataille's like, no, it's a symbol of hope, defiance against the drought. And he's like, mm. <laughs> and then yeah, um, he's like, well, that's weird, Bataille, because we all just have a statue of a water bottle and it does fine. Yeah. Okay. It glistens. It makes us thirsty. But you know what it doesn't do? Take our Take water. water rations. <laughs> um, so Picard, who I guess we should call maybe Cayman when he's on the planet, and we'll call him yeah, Picard. Yeah, I'm just on the calling ship. him Cayman at this point. Yeah, yeah. So Cayman jumps in and says, "I have a theory. I think we need to start. We need to create some atmospheric condenser that will soak up the the moisture in the air and collect it, so it's not just evaporating. So at least we'll yeah. have more water for our crops." And this admin just summarily dismisses him in the most politic of ways he's the like most bureaucratic yeah. way right i am so i am so delighted to hear from any of our citizens any of their great ideas thanks for this great idea i'll definitely keep it in mind and um we'll get back to you okay thanks mm-hmm. bye mm-hmm. and Bataille's like wow that went well cayman i think it's totally gonna work and picard's like no buddy that was that was his polite way of saying this is never going to happen mm-hmm. i love that picard keeps his diplomacy skills intact Despite the years. He's he is himself even mm-hmm. on this planet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and Batai says, like, for the first time, it felt like you're really like speaking as part of the community again. It was really good to see that, buddy. Uh, which is sweet. Now at the house, Cayman is getting better at that Resican flute. He's playing Frere Jaca, which is a total throwback to season five, episode five's disaster when he like mm-hmm. leads the kids up the ladder and sings that song with them. Mm-hmm. And he he has this really heartfelt i'm going to use that word to death in this episode um interaction with aileen and apologizes for how difficult the past five years have been for her and one thing that i love to see is people being accountable for their behavior and it is like you know what this has been hard for me because i've been away from my ship and i don't know what brought me here or what but this has been hard for you too like you obviously lost a loved one and here i am but i'm not really back like this is heartbreaking for you and I, I think it was really lovely. And and it just shows like how sweet they are where she was like, well, you know, you've been going through a hard time. And, and he was like, yeah, but not as hard as you have been trying to hold everything together while I'm out disappearing for days at a time and staring at the sun and all this other shit. And he says, you know, he's clearly been building like some telescopes and some stuff. He's still like kind of keeping. He's you kind know, of the town of- inventor. He's always yeah, he, tinkering he, on things. He definitely is. And he's like, I need to ask you permission to build something. And she's like, well, you've never asked me permission before. And he says, well, this time I feel like I do. Um, I'm asking your permission to build a nursery. And I was like, God, if that isn't one of the sweetest ways to be like, yes, like I'm ready to like have a family with you. Now, for me personally, I don't have kids and I've never wanted kids. Um, so I'm very, very happy, like not, I'm, I'm happy that I don't have kids. Um, I mean, I work with kids all day and I love them, but like, I just never wanted my own. So even being, you know, this proposal landing on my ears as someone who's never, ever dreamt of having kids, my dream has always been not having kids. Even I was like, wow, that is just very, very sweet. And she is like, are you serious? Like, it's, it's really nice to see this aspect of Picard as someone who we've always known as like someone who'll never settle down, never get married because he's he's an explorer and all that. And like here mm-hmm. he is as Cayman, 
still being an explorer, you know, but he's terrestrially mm-hmm. bound. Um, but still settling down and having a lovely, beautiful, loving, like, relationship. I, I just was like, see, Picard, you can do it if you want to. Yeah. Like, you don't have to, but well, you can. He can if his mind is transported to another planet and he's given a whole different life. <laughs> I mean, being yes, Picard yes on the no, planet, though. he just, being Picard in his normal life, he doesn't, he would never make space for something like this. Yes. It would never be a priority. Space. If you force him into this space where he cannot escape this space, he can, in fact, be successful in this space. Mm, see, but I would disagree because he could like fight this whole thing and just go live in the mountains as a hermit or like move into another house that's identical to the one he's living in and just not be with her. He he's people are very good at pushing others away when they don't want to be bothered. And I think that like one of the things I love about this episode is that he is Picard through and through, even as Cayman. So to me, it shows like, yeah, if the situation could be different, you could make the space, but also he could have been on this planet and not, been married and have kids and grandkids and he could have just been Cayman who who's like a bachelor like Picard is and just be out there solving this and having friends the way he does on the Enterprise and you know people that he loves and respects but like in a different way so I I do love to see him as being like you do have this choice and you can make this choice if you want to and maybe your life is too busy or whatever as a starship captain and you're you're right about one thing he's stuck on the planet like at least on the Enterprise he's like going everywhere Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think it was really sweet to see him very naturally, like having this like more settled life. I love that. Yeah, it was really cool to see this this side of him that we will never be able to see in his normal life. I know. So it was kind of like we needed this parallel universe in order to see what it would be like for Picard to be a family man, which mm-hmm. was very sweet. So at the same time, back on the bridge. Riker orders Geordi to send a probe to kind of trace the nuclear trail of this other probe of this lightning bolt probe to see where it came from. Assuming that, you know, if we can find the planet it came from, maybe we can figure out the technology or who sent it or we can somehow disengage Picard from this machinery. So Geordi does that. He sends he sends the probe out. In the meantime, Riker wants to disrupt the beam that's connecting directly to Captain Picard's synapses. So he's yeah. like, okay, we can't, we don't want to destroy the probe. We cannot run the probe, but at least we can disrupt whatever beam it's sending into Picard's brain mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe, maybe loosen it and get him free. And that's when Beverly says the thing about the knife and it's just like, it could help, but it could also do more harm than good. But the truth is they don't know what it's going to do. So they're just, they're just going to try it. They're just going to try it. They're going to try to disrupt the beam. They're going to try to find the people who created this. They're doing everything that they can mm-hmm. to save Picard. Now, the good thing is Picard's actually fine right now. He's not dying mm-hmm. or anything. So he's stable. Yeah, he's stable. So while there is urgency, it's not the normal urgency we get with this show where there's five seconds before the planet explodes or some deadly virus kills everyone yes. or something like that. We do have, as far as we know, we've got some time because mm-hmm. all of his vitals are stable. And what's cool about these jump cuts back to the bridge is that every time they come from the bridge back to the planet, X number of years have gone yes. by. Yeah. And there has been some kind of change in Cayman's life. Mm-hmm. This time when we jump back. So last time they wanted to create a nursery. This time when we jump back to their home, we see they're on child number two. Mm-hmm. They've got about a, uh, maybe like a five-year-old daughter and they mm-hmm. have a brand new baby boy. And they're at his naming ceremony, which is super adorbs. They've got their mm-hmm. whole community there. And 
Cayman is playing the flute and it actually sounds good. So mm-hmm. you're like, wow, this has been a long time because he's mastered a whole yeah. instrument and had two kids. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. And they named the child Bataille after Cayman's dear friend that died a year ago. So it's like, OK, changes have been happening in the community. Um, also, I love to see that um, at the beginning of the episode when he comes to and Aline is there. She's saying, like, we we got married three years ago. And, like, Picard is not a young person in this episode. And Aline is not young either. And I love to see older people, like, getting married or having children a little bit older. You know, there are risks that come with bearing children at a later age. But, like, I just think it's really sweet that, like, those milestones in life are not just reserved for Mm 20-somethings. I thought that was pretty cool. Now, um, Cayman and Aline talk about their daughter, Maribor who's maybe like four or five years old. And here was a little sticking point for me. Cayman says Maribor is, you know, just a a minute ago, they were having her naming ceremony. Um, and now she's just a proper little lady. And Aline says, she's no little lady, like tromping through the hills and collecting soil samples with her dad. And like, she was said it in kind of like a gentle joking manner, but like, I don't like this kind of talk. I was like an auto mechanic for years and all of these things that would make me like not ladylike. And I was still a woman and still a lady, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm no less of a lady than like a dainty, proper little, you know, shopping spree, whatever the like stereotype is like lady. Right. So people usually call girls who do those like um, stereotypically masculine activities, tomboys, Mm -hmm. like they're somehow a boy because they're playing in dirt. They like to do I, cool shit. I will agree that that boys do like dirt. I, we have a lot of boys in my family and they do love dirt and sand and messes and stuff. But that doesn't mean girls don't don't like them at all, right? It's mm-hmm. just, it, that's not what that means. Um, and I could totally see why that would be upsetting. It's, yeah, it is a very small thing in passing. And I think it's more of her saying, because she does say you're, she's her father's daughter, meaning yes. like she's more like you than she's like me, which I think mm-hmm. is more, even though she considers herself to be a lady and mm-hmm. Picard to be a man makes sense. And for, for their daughter to be acting and taking after Picard feels like um, she's not quote unquote being a lady. Yeah. I agree with you that lady likeness, it depends on how you define it. And um, I think that idea of like prim and proper is from like the 1800s. So we can yeah. go ahead and update that. We can just update it. Let's just it. go ahead and get rid of that stupid yeah, ass thing. That's that's like super duper outdated at this point. Now, as Cayman and uh, Aline are talking at the party, he starts tipping over and going into like respiratory spasms and like collapses. And we find aboard the Enterprise, the same thing is happening to Picard. So Jordy is like, get that beam back up. And, and Beverly's like, Data, gotta get that beam back up. Like they've clearly cut the beam in the middle of Bataille's naming ceremony, whatever's going on with, you know, Picard. Mm-hmm. And like, he they, he goes into like cardiac arrest, essentially. And it was like, oh, Jesus. Okay, in so both you, realities. Yikes. In both realities. So it's like, you especially can't do that, I guess. So they get, they get the beam back up and running. And now like his vital signs are like holding steady, like is, is Picard and as Cayman. But again, we, we have get, that sort of time jump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We get a time and we jump get like a little... 15 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. About that's pro- that's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, about 15 years. Um, We get a little glimpse of Nurse Agawa again. Love seeing her. I know. I was like, Hey, Alyssa. Hey girl. I know. How hey. you been? How's everything? 
<laughs> How was did that you date end with up, that guy? Yeah, I was just gonna say, did you end up going on that date with that guy from a couple of episodes ago? Okay. <laughs> so yes, now that we've jumped back, it's like 15 years have passed. And their daughter is like about 20. Yeah. Um, which is like so crazy because kids really grow extremely fast. Like Andrea and I are teachers, we've got lots of little kids in our families. And it's amazing the difference between a five-year-old and a 15-year-old. Oh like God. it's so much different than a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old, right? Like all those those transitions, the metamorphosis of childhood to adulthood is so rapid. But here, it's literally the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. You blink and his kid's 20. And yep. she grows up to be just like her dad. She is a scientist. And they have this conversation about what she's found in the soil. There's no anaerobic bacteria in there. And she goes, Dad, this is more than a long drought, isn't it? The planet is dying. And Picard's like, man, I wish I would have just filled your head with trivial concerns like toys and clothes and dumb stuff. And she's <laughs> like, no, you don't. And he's like, no, I don't. But I kind of do, but I kind of don't. And basically mm-hmm. he says, like, I just, I don't want you to be burdened by things that are very concerning that you cannot change like this. And she's just like, you never taught me to be afraid of the truth, even if it's painful. And I think this is just, this whole thing is just a really powerful lesson of not just parenting, because like Andrea said, neither of us are parents, but also just working with children in general is how much of the truth do you share and how much do you shield? Mm -hmm. And I have this philosophy with kids that I never lie to them. I don't necessarily volunteer things. I don't think they need to know. But if they ask me a direct question, I will give them a direct answer in like mm-hmm. kid in kid language they can understand. But I'm not going to lie mm-hmm. to them and I'm not going to hide things from them and I'm not going to keep them in bubbles because I feel like they don't grow. They don't get resilience. They don't learn how to deal with scary mm-hmm. things or hard things or bad things. If we just yeah. say which there is the no such is thing as a bad of. thing, which yeah. the world is full of and life is full of. And yeah. that's part of it. So this just felt really beautiful and affirming to me to be like, yeah, like you always told her to find the truth, even if it's not a fun truth, even if it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. even if it's painful, because that's not the point. The point is not to be in a happy little bubble. The point is to be able to deal with the world as it is. Yeah. I just thought that was really beautiful. And she's like, wow. Okay. So they talk about some boy that he's like, I, you know, he's in love with you. And she goes, dad, um, I think I should marry him sooner rather than later. What do you mm. think? And, you know, Picard's just like, yeah, now is pretty much the only time we have. So let's go ahead and get that done. He says, make now the most precious time. Now will never come again. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I just choked up so much at that. And it's very true because when you're living in a good time, you tend to think that the good time will never end. And when it does, it's heartbreaking. And now is precious. And I love that he said, like, he's just sort of a man of few words with Maribor, which is, by the way, such a boring name, in my opinion. I was like, Maribor? <laughs> it okay, sounds kind of interesting, though. But but I think bore makes it sound boring. So it, maybe we needed a different letter does, there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be Maribel, but for fuck's sake, Maribor. I was like, ooh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> and yet this guy's in love with her. She must be really not living up to her namesake anyway at this point Jordy has um, chartered the probe's radiation trail back for a light year and he hypothesizes that the probe came from a planet formerly known as Catan the star went nova and all life in the entire system ended a thousand years ago and it was like oh shit like okay 
So then we're like, well, that's a dead end. There's no reason to go there because no one there can help us. Nobody there can help us. But also, if all life ended there a thousand years ago, then what the heck is Picard living? Mm -hmm. You know, and you're like, what what is going on here? And we switch back to Cayman and it's now been like 30 years. And Cayman is an old man. And Mm -hmm. he continues to search towards the stars. And it's obvious he's closer to Maribor than his son Bataille, who's now like in his 20s. Because... Bataille's dream t- is to pursue music and drop out of school and and you know came in as like that shit is pointless and be but a really, flautist he actually yeah. plays the flute really beautifully he does but also like came knows like the planet is dying how many more years do we have a dozen maybe maybe like we're we're going in, we've been in a drought for like 40 years now you know um at least where like there's no solution so now Famine is already happening and all that stuff. So it's like mm-hmm. the, the world is literally ending. If you want to be a musician, go ahead. Like mm-hmm. what is the, there is no right path, especially now where like everybody's option is dwindled down to nothing. It's like, mm. it's not, there's nothing you can do at all. Yeah. And yeah, like, Picard kind of sees Bataille as flighty because it's like last week you wanted to be this and last month you wanted to be that. And every time I talk to you, you want to be a, t- yeah, sorry. What did I say? Picard. Cayman. Uh, yes. Cayman thinks that his son Bataille is very flighty because he keeps mm-hmm. jumping around to different occupations that he would like to have, which is understandable for somebody who's like in their 20s to be trying different stuff. That's kind of what your 20s are for. Um, yeah. And at first when Bataille says, I want to leave school and become a musician, Cayman's like, no, you're not. It's <laughs> yeah. the most important thing. But then he thinks about it and he's like, oh, yeah, wait, this planet's dying. Yeah, okay, it's fine. But he doesn't say it that way. He goes, we'll discuss it. But Bataille smiles and leaves the room. And and Aline is like, oh, how sweet. So, like, it's understood that we'll discuss it means go for it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Um, mm-hmm. And he just kind of sits and he's like, yeah, what difference does it make? And I think what's really interesting about this is that we as humans do have a clock. We have a ticking clock for when our lives yeah. will end. Assuming we live a long, healthy, happy life and there's no lightning strikes or cancer or bus crashes or anything, we still have a clock. We still have a clock. We're not going to live forever. In this, though, what in this episode and in this scene specifically, the entire planet has that same ticking clock and the clock has almost run out. So it's a very different viewpoint on life and what's important and who's important and what we need to do. Why do we even still have school? You know, if like the planet's dying, there, there's just so many things yeah. that it's really hard to wrap my mind around um, how I would behave in this situation. Because on the one hand, you don't want to become futile and give up everything and say whatever the yes. world's over. But yeah. on the other hand, you should not spend a single solitary second doing something that doesn't bring you joy or something that you know, within reason, like dealing with other people sometimes is not always joyful, but you know what I mean? Like you shouldn't spend time going to school if you want to be a musician. Like yes. the world's almost over. Well, There's yeah, nothing if we the, can do. If the world Go is sing, almost still o- play music. Exactly. Like if the world is almost over, I had that conversation with my students where I was like, okay, let's say we have a world ending meteor coming our way. And there's like 18 months between now and like strike, right? Kind of like the movie Don't Look Up. And which is totally depressing. So if you if you're in a mood, I have not that's seen not the, it, so I won't be watching. It's it. it's it's pretty. I mean, it's exactly what you would expect would happen these days. If you're like, there's an asteroid that's coming to destroy the Earth. It was a whole bunch of like right wing people being like, that's fake news, you know, and left wing people being like, just look up. And so then the right wing people are like, don't look up, don't look up. And so it's like this purpose blind. I mean, it's like it's definitely dark comedy. Spoiler alert: the world does end. There's nothing they can do to like oh, fix gosh. it. But like, but. 
it's basically about like, how do you spend that last time? Now, if it's enough mm-hmm. time, like 18 months or 10 years, you still have to like kind of go to work to pay your bills, to support yourself or whatever. But like the time to cut extraneous bullshit is here. Like any extraneous crap, it's time. Now, yeah, yeah. Cayman, Cayman does go to that as administrator who wants him to like keep quiet about his findings. But Cayman is like, I will go to the people with this data. And the administrator is like, all right, fine. My Our scientists came up with the same conclusion years ago. I mm-hmm. don't want this getting out to create a panic. There is a plan in place, but I can't tell you anything more than that. And like, off he goes. And in that moment, and you're just like, dang, because I mean, what I like about that, though, is that the admin wasn't saying don't look up. Right. He was like, yes, I don't want to start a panic. No, we know. Yeah, right. I don't want to. We know. And I don't want to start a panic. Part yeah. of me is that's exactly why I don't lie to kids that right there. I don't want to start a panic. So we're just going to lie to everybody so that everybody mm-hmm. can just be blissfully ignorant. But what if they knew maybe they would make different choices? Maybe they wouldn't force their kid to go to school when their kid wants to be a musician if they knew this. Or or even like simpler things like, oh, I'm putting off that trip to like Milwaukee to visit my like ill grandmother or something. It's like, yeah, yeah, make or I'm going to Milwaukee. Yes. Go to Milwaukee and go see your grandma. Or I'm going to eat carbs again. I've been not eating them for XYZ reason, but the world's about to end. I can eat cake. Like, yes, I feel yeah, like- Yeah, I sure can. I feel like he did a disservice. And I get it. Like, you don't want people to panic, but what what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Is it going to be worse than the world ending? No, it's not. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, so. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. Uh, at any rate, Bataille so he runs knows. over to get Cayman. <laughs> Aline is dying and he, you know, Cayman makes it to Aline's deathbed basically and she says like don't forget to put your shoes away because she's always been putting his shoes away which is such a cute thing like in my relationships you know you have like those patterns where it's like oh you left your boxers on the hook or you left your shoes out or you left your whatever right it's like you you have like your little patterns like oh you didn't close the cabinet or your toothbrush or whatever whatever it is right um and some of my friends are married and they're like my husband has like five advanced degrees and can't close the kitchen cabinets and i'm like (laughs) right so it's like okay that's the kind of stuff that's the kind of stuff that happens right i had a friend like that i had a friend that i worked with at a different school and he had left all the like all the drawers open in this one room looking for something he was looking for but he left all the drawers open when he left the room and i was like um come back in here sir and i was like did <laughs> did you leave all of the drawers in this entire room open he was like oh yep that was me and he went in and he closed them and i was like do you do this at home and he was like oh absolutely and i was like oh my god yeah oh my god this drives me crazy <laughs> i mean i know like having been married like i know that there are some things that may have driven me crazy but there was a lot of other stuff that was just like ah, you did that thing again it's whatever yeah. it's like a lean with the shoes where it's like ah, you with the shoes you know and she goes don't yeah. forget to put your shoes away and he's like tells her he loves her and 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 she passes away and it kind of very quickly sort of morphs into like now more years have passed where it came in as a grandfather and maribor is like a little adult look at her with her little adult haircut mm-hmm. and her adult outfit. I was and like, the grandson's okay. like six. So it's yeah, been a, it's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute for sure. And Maribor and Matai come to get came in to witness the launching. And one, I love how in very, very like how storytelling can take place without words. Like they're all wearing these protective hats and sun cream and everything now. Anytime mm-hmm. they go outside, like things have taken a drastic turn and they haven't said a word about it to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we know it's a drought. Now we know because the enterprise has discovered it that the sun went supernova and the planet's dying. But I love that little bit of like, oh, look, everybody's got a, a hat on and all that. 
Uh, but we haven't said a word about it. Like, it's just, we just know. And the tree that Bataille planted, the original, like, Bataille 1.0 planted, and the Defiance tree, mm-hmm. it's dead. It's just branches, which I was like, mm-hmm. in a, as a set decorating, how would I do that? Would I get a dead tree? Or would I just, like, kind of fabricate one? I guess getting mm-hmm. a dead tree is probably easier and then just planting. Whatever. Anyway, the point is, Cayman is like, what are we launching? Like, I haven't heard anything about this. And this is where things turn. Maribor says... You know about it. You've already seen it. And then a voice from behind came and says, we hoped our probe would encounter someone in the future, someone who could be a teacher and someone who could tell others about us. And as we turn around and the camera pans, it's Bataille 1.0, like back in like youthful glow, like he's Mm -hmm. healthy again. It's the Bataille that Picard met when he first landed on this planet and woke Mm -hmm. up mysteriously like 40, 50 years ago at this point. And yeah, he's like, but how could it? What? Well, uh, I mean, the same way I would freak. Again, it, it's like hearkening back to last week. I'd be like, ghost. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, 100%. what the heck? You have an age. Like, what is going on right now? Mm-hmm. But he just kind of listens, and everything keeps unfolding. Yeah. Yes. And as he does, he's like, wait, wait. I'm the person. It's me. Like the probe is going to find me and bring me here, and. Um, then he hears another voice that's Aline, like looking the same way she did, like when he first woke up out of this, like whatever fever. And she's like, yes, my love, like, we hope that you will like, we hoped to find somebody who could like, you know, help us live again through your memories. And when Cayman looks at the missile, like there it goes, like you see the missile launching that's going to find him in a thousand years. And I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, she's like, tell people about us, my darling. And then he wakes up on the Enterprise. And I was and like, be- <laughs> before he wakes up though, as she's saying, tell me that my darling, when you look around, the entire family is is circled around. So you yes. see Bataille 1.0, you see Elaine, I mean, Elaine. You see uh, Maribor and her husband, the grandson, like everything that he's experienced for the past like 40 years is there saying goodbye. And then he wakes up and it's very, he's extremely disoriented, of course, because all this revelation has just hit him. Yeah. All of it. And then he's like, wait a minute. So I am Picard. So there was the enterprise, like all of it just hits him. All at once. Yeah. And his eyes open and he's, and it's just gone. Like that life he's been living is gone. The people he's loved. Yeah. are gone but the people he loved before are back and now he's back to can his you youthful imagine, self can you imagine going to bed and waking up 40 years later and it's the no. moment you went to bed how scary is that shit yeah well Super it's scary. worse than that because it's like going to bed waking up in a whole different life living yeah. for 40 years going to bed again and then waking up like you never went to bed the first oh time. my god 100 percent. you're like, you're like what what the? The? Yep. i was awake i know i was awake i experienced it would be time to go everything. take a walk and find some stuff that looks familiar. <laughs> That's the time. Now, he comes to, and he's still on the floor of the bridge. And the probe has stopped its beam. And he was only out for 25 minutes. Which is like, what? Like, I wasn't even out for a whole hour, not even a whole day. And I lived mm-hmm. 40 years. Now, he Beverly's like, let's, can you walk? Like, let's go to sickbay to run some tests. So it seems like everything's going to be okay. And in his quarters that evening, Picard is basically doing the equivalent of a walk. Like he's reacquainting himself with his things in his quarters. And Riker comes to see Picard and he's like, you know, we got a tractor beam on the probe and brought it 
over, which I'm guessing in the story, though, for Catan, does that mean that Cayman was part of the design team for the satellite? Because, like, it's the shape that, like, he made for Aline, like, 40 years earlier. Yeah, I, I feel like, th- this is me spitballing since none of this is explained, but I feel like the technology in the probe was one of two things. Either one, it was just like a generic person's life in this in this civilization. So that it could kind of map to whoever's brain it, it probed. It could kind of create a world that made sense to them. Because if you notice, Catan looked a lot like Santa Fe, right? It looked a lot like California. Yes. It, yes like they yeah. use spoons and bowls the same as we do. They had yeah. vases, candelabras, the same as ours. Like nothing looked spacey or futuristic. The chairs were the same as earth chairs. Yeah. So like it could be something where it just maps your brain and it creates this synthetic environment. That gives the impression, the experience of what these people mm. were like as okay. a people. So okay. that's one idea. The second idea is that Cayman was an actual person who was actually married to this lady. That's never how I thought about it, but it could be like an actual person. And so they had to scan, I guess, a straight man so that they could fit into that role of playing through, playing out Cayman's life. Yeah, so, maybe. Either way. I mean, the fact that, like, at the beginning of the episodes, he sees the necklace, and he's like, where did you get that? And she's like, you made this for me. I'm like, oh, God, was Cayman part of the design team a thousand years ago? And they scanned his brain because, you know, it's like, who on the design team wants to volunteer, like, their life experiences or whatever, you know, for this, like, up until mm-hmm. launch day, and we just scan your brain and get... Although, it's a pre-warp civilization, I'm guessing they don't have brain scan technology, but apparently they do, because... Well, they've, because got, the, some, they've because got technology. They have some, because obviously, like, they were able to scan Picard's brain now, you know, it had some Right, exactly. Anyway, so mm-hmm. I'm guessing that Cayman was a real person, and that was his real family. And, like, he was part of the design team, and he made the probe in the shape of that necklace because it had been, like, in his mind, you know, for all those years. That's my guess. Now, they were able to take the probe and tractor beam it into a cargo bay, and they opened the probe to examine it. And whatever the beam was, it was self-terminating, and it no longer works. And my question is, why? You have to imagine you spend all this time making this probe for it to scan one person and let them know that like, you know, the Catanians Mm -hmm. lived. It's like, why not make it like a museum that people can visit and get scanned and like, Anyway, but I guess again, I'm going to chalk that up thing. to yeah, I'm going to chalk that up to limited technology. Like this was all they had, like all their energy, all the technology, all the everything was going to yeah. go to one yeah, person in God, one shot. Thank God, like a Ferengi didn't get scanned or something else who like wouldn't have valued like just the history of it or whatever. I don't know. So anyway, inside they opened up the probe and he said this was inside, and he hands this box to Picard and leaves. And he opens the box, and it's the flute. And now the tears are starting. Mm. (sighs) Because he's so touched, and he goes to play it and finds that, like, he still knows how. Mm -hmm. It's like his experiences in many ways was real Mm -hmm. because he didn't know how to play this flute before, and now he knows how to play it, and he plays that, like, same song he played for, like, the naming ceremony for for, uh, Bataille. And I was just like... It just blows my mind that, like, this would be the thing inside. Now, here's my other question, too. I have a few questions at the end here. One is, did the probe, like, use a replicator technology to generate something that was meaningful in Cayman's life, like, as Picard was living it, to give him a little, like, symbol to be like, this was real, 
we really existed, take this and remember us, or was the flute always in there and he was always going to like learn that skill and have that flute be important to him? What do you think? I think the flute was always in there. And I think the very first thing that the wife did was say, you've been playing the flute for a long time. You've been trying to get the hang out of it. So I think even if he hadn't spent the 40 years learning to play the flute, even if he chose differently in that simulation, he would still have recognized the flute Mm. as part of the entire experience he just had. Mm. So, yeah, I think it was a real thing. I don't think it was. I don't think it was replicated. I think it was a real thing. The box was gorgeous. This beautiful, ornate, like kind of looked like jade or something. box. Yes, like a kind of carved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it. It could have just been, I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been just a simple prop, but it was beautiful, beautiful. And yeah, it shows that Picard, Picard's experiences were real and valid. Even if they only took 20 minutes in, you know, ship time, he yeah. was really there for 40 years. And now mm-hmm. he's feeling, again, very disoriented, trying to fit back into his old life that he hasn't seen in 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. Now, my question for you, Sharice, is this. The probe was really terrifying at the beginning because he had no idea what was what was happening to him and where he was, right? But if you knew what this probe was and what it would do to you, like, have you lived this 40 years, would you want to live 40 years as, like, Cayman to see how the people of Catan lived? No. Really? Like, this is a ride or something? Yeah. No. Knowing knowing that, like, only 25 minutes in real world are past? No. No, because I don't want to so experience... I don't want to experience... I don't want to experience getting older and closer to death and seeing all my loved ones dying more than once. That's, That's why. true. Yeah. Hmm. I think I would want to live that, but if it was like a month, you know, if like two minutes on earth would pass or like two minutes in real time would pass, but you'd live like a month as them, mm-hmm. I would totally do it. Also, I think that'd be a great technology for like vacations yes. or like, you for know, you sure. could have, you could have a weekend here you know, but spend like a month in Fiji or whatever with your loved ones. It'd be extremely refreshing. It'd be amazing, right? Because the, I mean, the efficiency would go through the roof if we could just like anytime during the day, just be like, okay, I'm going to take like a five minute break. And the five minute break is like a month away in wherever. Um, Mm -hmm. And you could share it with other people. Like they could jump in the thing with you. We actually read a a short story just like that in one of our short story Sundays in our sci-fi club. And it was like, ooh, and you could go to different planets and stuff like that. All with this technology that would send you to the actual planet, but like your mind would go, but your body would stay. Yeah. You could explore it through this like robotic body. And it was like ready player one sort of. Similarly, yeah. But it was like they had like these robotic probes in the in the gaseous areas of like Jupiter. And you mm. could send your mind there and actually explore Jupiter. And there was tactile feelings and stuff in the robots. Oh my God, but your amazing. body was back at Earth. And then you can stay there for however long you want and then come back to Earth. And it's really crazy. We asked that question, too. It's like, if you could do this, would you do this? And the room was split. And some people were like, yeah, send me right now. And some people were like, no, I want my consciousness inside of my body. Mm. So, like, it, there's always this, this, um, this spectrum. I agree with you. If it was a shorter amount of time in Catan... Absolutely. But 40 years where I experienced aging and death and the fear of knowing my planet's going to be destroyed. My grandchild's not going to grow up. Like, granted, I'm focusing on the negative and that's not the point of this episode. The point of this episode was the beauty of life or whatever. Yeah. But experiencing so much loss and fear and hopelessness and helplessness just to like come back to life and do mm. like, I I would not, I absolutely would not sign up for that ride. Nope. But like a mm. month or even like a year. Sure. Yeah. See, I can see that. 40 years is a touch long. 
It'd be very disorienting to come back. Tad on the long side. <laughs> yeah. Imagine like this thing hits you on like a Saturday morning and you go to work on Monday and they're like, how is your weekend? I'm like, I spent 40 years as a dude on a planet. It's like, okay, Andrea, like <laughs> time for some like medical leave. I don't know. Anyway, um, some trivia I found. This flute, the Russican flute, is just a prop flute. It can't actually be played. Mm. It was placed for auction at Christie's Auction House. And originally, the auctioneers or, like, the auction directors were like, we'll sell it for 300 bucks," And they did not correctly estimate, like, the factor in that emotion, mm-hmm. like, just the emotional like How attachment. meaningful that, fr- that flute is. It's so... Totally. Me- it's totally a prop from a show, but it is extremely meaningful. It means family it means love it means legacy it means hope it means culture it means life it means a lot more than 300 bucks it means a lot more so they were like okay okay our bad we will raise the estimate to like eight to twelve hundred on our website and then it ended up selling for forty eight thousand (laughs) dollars wow and then and that was in like 19 early 90s or something now in 2021 it was actually auctioned off again and it sold for hundred and ninety thousand dollars. holy moly for a flute that you can't even play and i was like holy moly that's awesome but my i mean my final thoughts really is this episode is just beautiful it's perfection mm-hmm. the, the feast continues this is this for me this episode for me we, you know, I did the kind of Thanksgiving feast analogy for a few, for the last few weeks, because we've had some really amazing episodes. This for me is the sweet spot between Thanksgiving and Christmas, because I'm a huge Christmas person. And so like, just a few days before Christmas, like the house is decorated, enough time has passed that there's like a lot of presents heaped under the tree mm-hmm. and, and there's cookies out and all that, you know, you're getting real close to Christmas. So for me, this feels like, that week preceding Christmas where it's like everything is just beautiful. And that's mm-hmm. what this episode feels like for me. What are your final thoughts? Um, Not as colorful as yours. I really like it. <laughs> My final thoughts are your, are your final thoughts. That's what I've decided. Um, <laughs> one thing I did want to point out is that um, Sir Patrick Stewart reprised his role as Picard in Picard. And I believe to, uh, 2020 i think is maybe when picard season one came out or 21 and it is like 30 30 40 years after he played this role and i have to say what he looks like 40 years into the future is just as good as he did 40 years ago i didn't even think of that he does not look at all like the aged scrooge that he looks like in this episode 40 years Mm -hmm. older which i'm just like Wow, like we just saw what what they thought he might look like in 40 years time. But we know from our perspective what he actually looks like in 40 years time. And he mm-hmm. looks the same, but with more liver spots, but the yeah. same, like yeah. the same. Um, so I just want to throw that out there because I was like, whoa, this is so meta <laughs> right now. Um, You're right. My I didn't final, think of that. Yeah. My final thought, though, is that this this episode's really beautiful and haunting. And um, I don't know what I would do in Cayman's place in that that society's place if i would have the wherewithal to be like let's put all of our memories in a probe and then we'll yeah. live on in memories like I, I don't think i would have that thought yeah. um it seems really really difficult to just live in this place where you know that this clock is ticking and it's gonna it's gonna time out really quickly um but man this is just such a fantastic episode it's got a lot of heart and it's got a good amount of science this this mm-hmm. is like Andrea. You often say this is like to be a great sci-fi show. It doesn't all have to be space battles and laser beams. This is the mm-hmm. perfect example. This is sci-fi and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And there's no crazy space battles or anything, and it's still really really good. 
It is. It is. Now, the last few weeks that we've met, we've had some, we disagree about whether an episode is good or not. And I think we can both like totally agree that this episode is just like a absolutely beautiful, beautiful episode. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm curious if anybody out there doesn't like this episode, I absolutely want to hear from you because I'm so curious as to why. I don't think, you you know, I'm not going to be like, you're an idiot. It's like, there's nothing wrong about not liking this episode, but I really want to hear from somebody who maybe doesn't like this episode as much. Info at the TNGpodcast.com. Please let me know because I so want to know like what might not be so loved about this episode. On that note, next week, We are breaking down season five, episode 25, Times Arrow, part one. It's going to be super fun. Thank you so much for nerding out with us. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.